The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That is gracebible.faith. We'll continue on in Galatians today. We've made it up to Galatians 1.12, and we are going to hit hyperdrive today. And we're going to make it all the way to 2.14, if you can believe it. Uh, it's a, almost a full chapter, 26 verses, one thirteen through 2.14 is a historical recounting. And we've already covered this history as part of the introduction, so we will be able to make good speed through this section and really understand its purpose uh, in context of the book. You'll recall what we covered in previous weeks. I'm not going to go through all of it. We went through a good review last time. But 1, one through 5 was Paul's salutation, his greetings, to whom and from whom. And just a few things that were clearly on his mind. He was clearly thinking about the gospel. He was clearly thinking about the fact that his apostleship was not from man. It was from God. Um, And then he goes in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1 to talk about the occasion or the reason or why he wrote the letter. And he made some bold claims, you'll recall, in that section. There's only one gospel. There aren't multiple. There's only one. And it is the one that he taught not the one that others were teaching them. In fact, those that were newly teaching the Galatians were purposefully distorting the gospel. And it would lead to the Galatians' eternal damnation if they followed it. It would lead to the teachers being accursed. It was true not just of them and the teachers. It was true of any angels or any other being that might try to follow this other gospel, any gospel other than the one they had taught. Those are some pretty bold claims. And that's the reason for Paul writing. It was so important to him. He was anxious that they did not turn aside from the gospel that they had received. And we said those claims could have easily be seen as out of touch with the reality of thousands of years. And maybe his opponents, maybe those that were newly teaching the Galatians after Paul had left, would say, no, Hey, I, I, we can make some bold counterclaims. I don't know who you are, Paul, but we've got thousands of years on our side. People have always been circumcised as part of the people of God and followed the law. And so we said last week in verses 10 through 13, Paul goes very deep in explaining himself. Four fours in a row, four becauses. He's a servant of Christ. He's doing what pleases God, not man. You say, well, that's convenient, Paul. I mean, that's what I would say, too, if I were going to come and teach something false for money's sake or for some other sake. That's convenient. He says, well, okay, I'll give you another because. Well, here's proof. My message is divine. It's not human. It didn't come from man. Well, that's convenient, right? That's what others have said and would say after Paul. He gives another because. Well, it is. I didn't. I was not taught it. I never was taught it from a person. I never received it from a man. I received it directly from Christ by revelation. Wow, prove that, Paul. What do you mean? And that's what he does. With the final four, the final because in verse 13, he's going to show, I did. This gospel that I teach, I didn't get taught it. I was never around anybody to teach it. They never told me it. I got it directly from Christ, and that's it. It was only from him, and I can prove it by let me share with you my history and show you. You guys know that this is how I received the gospel. And for the next 26 verses, we'll cover all of them today, 
They're all in service of that point. Prove to me, show me, Paul, that you did not receive this gospel from man. You weren't taught it from man. You received it from God, which is in service of his claims that he has made. And again, this won't be difficult. We will have weeks that will be harder. Uh, We've had weeks that are harder, but this will not be hard. Paul will be able to prove this by pointing to his history from Jesus until not our present day, but his present day of writing the Galatians. And again, this is history we've already covered together, so we can do a lot in one day. I will say there are three things that make it a little more hard. It's not the history itself. I'm going to review it in just a second, and then we're going to read the scripture and explain it very easily, I think. But there are three things that make it a little hard. We'll spend a couple of minutes on two of those here briefly before we get into the scriptures. And then at the end, I'll share the third. The first thing I think that makes it a little hard, even though we're prepared for this and ready to go through the history, is it might feel like history. It might feel like a history class to you, and you might say, what's the point? It's dates and events. I didn't come to here for history class. Uh, Well, Paul cares. He thinks it's really important. He's going to go on oath about this. Listen to verse 20 of chapter 1. And what I'm writing to you, I swear to you before God, I am not lying. So this is important history. It's not just any old history. He's going to claim in verse 5 of chapter 2 that he did not give an inch for their sakes, that giving an inch would have been significant. And like I said, this history... Though it may feel like in the second hour we're going to be teaching from Chronicles, and everybody knows the first nine chapters of Chronicles are hard sledding. It's a bunch of genealogies. You might feel today this is what this is. It's just history. But this is history with a purpose. This is in support of the claims of the gospel. It's not history for history's sake. If this history was proven false, then his claims fall. This is in support of his claims of it being the the true gospel that they need to adhere to. Paul will go on oath. He'll say, I couldn't give an inch. Otherwise, those, the truth of the gospel would have been uh, lost. It would have been uh, deserted. And so this is very significant. And again, we'll be able to go fast because we've covered this history. When we get to verse 15 of chapter 2, we'll have to slow down very much. Those are very difficult, weighty, and significant verses. But we'll be able to, to go through these pretty quickly. So it's important history, and it won't take us that long. So hopefully it won't feel like ninth grade history class that you don't want to go back to. But the second thing that is hard about this, even though mostly it's easy, is understanding, seeing where does Paul finish? Where does he pull up? Where does he finish and stop explaining? Right Again, all this history is in purpose of what? It's in purpose or in support of, I didn't receive this gospel from man. I wasn't taught it from man. I got it directly from God. Let me prove to you in 26 verses that that's the case. But where does he stop? And where does he get back to the main road of talking about y'all are in danger? Here's the real gospel. It's not easy to find that out. It's not easy to see that. Look, just we're gonna. I'm going to be a little quiet for a second and let you do some crowd participation, not out loud, but just on your own reading. Look, starting at verse 13, and just scan, if you're able to do that. Don't, you know, read deeply, but just ask yourself, where does he stop proving 
that he didn't receive the gospel from man, that he wasn't taught it, that he received it directly, where does, where does he stop doing that and get back on the main road and go to his next point? And again, you don't have to say it out loud. I just asked you if you were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and they asked you, where does Paul get back on the main road? Where is he done? What would your answer be? We can phone a friend here and we can talk about it. Call um, pastor. <laughs> but it's not easy. It's not clear where he does that. I don't know how far you are. Maybe you've gotten to chapter 2. Maybe you see him talking about his trip to Jerusalem or when Peter came to Antioch. It's not easy to determine. I, I want to give you a couple of hints uh, we'll spend more on this the next time we're in Galatians. But one hint is to look at the pronouns Paul uses through this passage, through the first couple of chapters. Start with the pronoun you. You is a hint where he uses that because that's when he's talking to the Galatians. And so if he starts using you again, well, maybe he's back to the main road and he's done with his history. And the word you is littered throughout the salutation and the occasion. It's all throughout it. He's talking to you, 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 you. And then as he gets into explaining, let me explain to you that this is true, that these claims are true, that I can say this because it's not from me, Paul. Who am I? Nobody, but I got this from God. He uses you. But then it, as he gets into his explanation in those 26 verses, that pronoun disappears. You won't find it again until 120, which is that oath, where, as I would describe it, Paul comes back up for air, right? He's going deep into his explanation. He comes back up for air and says, I swear to you, like, you know, he's, he's, he's thinking about his explanation. He looks back at his audience. I swear this is true. Then he goes back deep into his explanation. And it shows up in verse five of chapter two again, where he says, again, he kind of comes back up for air again and says, I didn't give an inch. It was for you. It was for you. But then he goes back down and he quits using the word you again after verse 5 it comes back in verse 14 of chapter 2 but it's not the Galatians he's talking about a speech he gave to Peter you know hey if you're doing Peter if you are doing the, you know it doesn't actually show back up in an abundance or to speak of the Galatians until chapter 3 so at least in chapter 3 Paul is back talking to the Galatians right He's done with his explanation. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has betwitched you before your eyes? Jesus, I want to know from you, did you receive? So he's back in chapter 3, at least. We know that at least in chapter 3, he's back. But does that mean that he's defending the divine origin of his gospel all the way through chapter 2? Well, let's look at one more pronoun. Uh, I suppose, well, let's look at the pronoun we, meaning those that are writing you. Paul and the brothers with him, chapter 1, verse 2 says. It's from Paul and the brothers who are with me. That's the we that's writing the letter. And even in this, uh, even in the occasion where Paul is, again, telling why he's writing, we see we all the way through it. He's saying it was the gospel we preached that we brought to you. But then, as with the pronoun you, it kind of goes away. And we don't see it anymore because Paul is, is still talking about his history. I did this. I went to Syria. I did this. I did this. 
It comes back again in verse 5 of chapter 2, which we said earlier was Paul coming back up for air. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't give an inch. It was for you. We didn't give an inch, but, but that's it. And then briefly in verse 9 of chapter 2, where Paul talks about himself and Barnabas in the story. Again, that's not the we that we're looking for, the people writing the Galatians. But then finally it comes back in verse 15 of chapter 2. We are Jews. We know this. We have believed. Is that the same we? Is that Paul coming back? That's a big question, and it's one we won't answer today. But it is a hint that something may be changing at verse 15 in chapter 2 and not just in chapter 3, verse 1. So that's where I'm going to break it today. That's why we're going to cover those 26 verses. Uh, Chapter 15 and beyond, excuse me, verse 15 and beyond of chapter 2, I think is where Paul has come back up. He's done with his explanation. In fact, I think verses 15 through 16 is, 15 through 21 is where Paul is going to declare the gospel. He said, there's only one gospel. There's only one. It's ours. Let me prove it to you. This is not my word. This is God's. I'll prove it to you. I didn't receive it from God. He goes really deep. He explains himself for 26 verses. He comes back up and says... Here is the gospel. Here is the gospel that we have believed and that we taught you. And then he comes back in chapter 3 and says, You Galatians, you foolish Galatians, how could you not believe this? That's kind of what I think Paul is doing. But it's not easy. It's not easy. It's a very emotional letter. And he, in my opinion, makes makes it hard to figure out where he's come back. But I think that's where it is. So today, we're going to cover chapter 1, verse 13, through chapter 2, verse 14, which I believe is all Paul's evidence that he did not receive the gospel from man. He was not taught it from man. He received it directly from Christ, which proves it's a divine message, which proves he's speaking it not to please men, but to please God, which shows his claims are true. It's not prideful arrogance for this guy, this human, to say there's only one gospel and it's the one I preach to you, and you better follow it because otherwise you're accursed. No, it's not prideful arrogance. He is not pleasing men. He received that gospel from God. Here's the proof that he did it. And that's what we'll look at today. Chapter 1, verse 13 through 2, verse 14. There's one other, again, thing that I think makes it difficult that we'll talk about at the end. But for now, we're ready to look at those 26 verses, which, again, I think we'll do very quickly because we have uh, you know, spoken about this before. In fact, I'm going to review the history one more time, even before we get into the verses. Um, So let me just quickly review this history with you, and then we'll get into the verses. You'll recall that Paul was an opponent of Christianity. He hated the way, as Eric read this morning. In fact, he was not content to just hate the way in Jerusalem. He wanted to hate the way in Damascus and anywhere he could find it. So he was opposed to the gospel. He's gotten letters to go to Damascus to bring people from there. And on the way to Damascus, somewhere around 33, these dates are not good. They're not, they're, they're not precise. They're close. They're reasonably, relatively accurate, but they're not precise. We don't know for sure on these dates. But somewhere around 33 AD, he's headed to Damascus. He sees the vision that Eric read for us. He's converted. He believes. He continues on to Damascus. And from there, he spends three years in Arabia, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about all this history. This is review to make it even easier for us when we get into the the text. 
He goes into Arabia. He spends a couple years there. He comes back to Damascus. Somebody wants his life. King Aretas wants his life. They send him out through the city wall. He goes to Jerusalem. First time back as a believer. He's in Jerusalem. He wants to hang out. With the believers, they don't want to have any... Whoa, I don't want to get anywhere near that guy. Same thing as Ananias. He was like, Lord, I hear you, but I don't want to get near that guy. I know what he does. And the believers in Jerusalem, you know, three years later, are saying the same thing. But Barnabas says, hey, no, this guy's legit. He's good. Hang out with him. He's been converted. Paul gets run out of Jerusalem. After just a short time there, he gets run out of Jerusalem. They take him up to Antioch. And from there, he goes even further into Turkey into Tarsus, which we were just talking earlier. Three of us, we didn't know this, have Kansas City in our background. Uh, so that's kind of our home, hometown. Well, Paul's hometown was Tarsus. He was up in Tarsus. He spent 10 years, almost a decade there. Eventually, you'll recall Peter gets the vision that he receives of the, the animals on the sheet, and he realizes God's going to make no distinction. He's going to pour out his spirit, independent of circumcision and the law, on Gentiles. So in Caesarea, a town on the Mediterranean Sea of Israel, there are Gentiles who believe, who speak in tongues. It's clear that they have the Spirit. And so Peter comes back to Jerusalem. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? I heard you went to like the house of Gentiles. Explain yourself. What's going on, Peter? And he's like, I'll explain myself. It was crazy. God poured out the Spirit on the Gentiles. He told me there was, a, he gave me a dream. There's no distinction. And they're like, oh, wow. And so it's this big change. And, and so they... They, they head up, the gospel comes to Antioch, and Gentiles start believing there in Syria, not even in Israel. In Syria, the gospel comes to there, and Barnabas goes up there to try to help. He says, man, I need extra help. I'm going to go grab Paul from Turkey, from Tarsus, and bring him down, and they minister together. And then some prophets come from Jerusalem to Antioch, and the prophets say, hey, there's going to be a famine. And Paul says, hey, we need to go take care of our brothers in Judea. I don't know. I don't know well, but I'm I'm just presuming that maybe Antioch was better well off. Uh, you know, Tyre and Sidon; those areas were very rich in the past. Maybe Jerusalem was not so. They decided we're going to go support our Christian brothers in Judea. They go down to Jerusalem. While there, Titus goes with them, and the question that had been boiling over it had boiled over to Peter. He had defended himself. Paul brings this Gentile into Jerusalem question continues to come up and Paul says no no they do not need to be circumcised they do not need to follow the law they go back they at that point uh, go on their journey missionary journey they're called by the spirit to go into Turkey into Galatia they continue to preach this gospel to the Gentiles first to the Jews but when they're run out of there stoned they go to the Gentiles the Gentiles believe they receive the spirit everything's good they go back to Antioch and then Paul hears somehow that now some folks have followed them and are teaching those new believers in Galatia, you have to be circumcised and follow the law. And Paul's tearing his hair out. He can't believe so quickly that they would do this. He writes the letter of Galatians. Eventually, this all boils over so much. We've got to go to Jerusalem. We've got to end this once and for all. We've got to have a council and formally decide. Peter, James, Paul, the apostles, they say, no, here it is. Here's in writing. You do not have to follow the law of Moses or be circumcised to be a part of the family of God. Here are some things that we think would be important for you to do, but no, you don't have to. Paul, they celebrate. They take that. They say, hey, let's go back. Let's go back and strengthen the churches. Let's tell them this. This is what we talked about last week where he then circumcises Timothy, and you're like, what? 
You know, but we explained that. We explained how it was different than Titus. But nevertheless, he goes back and strengthens the churches. That's the history that Paul's about to explain, not just, again, for history's sake, because we're not all history buffs. I'm looking at one back there. Who is? Oh, he's hiding. Uh, but, but because he wants to show with an eye, with a specific perspective of, let me explain my history, because if I show you my history, you'll see that I never was taught this gospel. I was never receiving this from man. I only got this directly from Christ. And my history from Christ until now will prove that to you. And that's what we're going to look at. Now, we're going to be able to uh, break those 26 verses up into six sections. And I tried to make them. I was so proud of my alliteration last week. I tried to find some way to break up these 26 verses into six sections to find some way to describe them easy to you. And so there are alternating stories between Jerusalem and Syria. Syria is the country north of Israel where Damascus and Antioch were, are, um, were and are. And so there's a story about Jerusalem, a story about Syria, a story about Jerusalem, a story about Syria, a story about Jerusalem, a story about Syria. And each of these stories, these six events that he narrates, are again all in support of him not receiving the gospel from any man and therefore his claims being true. And those stories each go from Paul being unrelated to Christianity in any way, maybe even opposed to it, to Paul representing God to the point where, I'll show you, he's rebuking the main leader of the Christian faith, the main apostle, Peter, the preeminent disciple among the Lord's twelve. Here are the six. Let me put them up there. And those are what we are going to work through. Again, very quickly. You may think 26 verses. Goodness, if you spent a minute on every one, it would be half an hour. It won't, it won't take long. Three stories from Jerusalem that go from Paul being an enemy, persecuting the church, to being uninvolved, basically. I mean, he's down in Jerusalem, but you know, he's, he's there for a very short time. He doesn't meet with the apostles to being approved, finally, by the leaders that he had received a true gospel. And three stories from Syria that go from Paul being confronted by Christ to being unknown to others but glorifying God for him to, to confronting himself, the chief apostle, as we've already referenced. And then there's one more section which we'll spend the coming weeks on, 2.15 and beyond, that is Paul, I think, coming back to the main road and declaring what the gospel is. Okay, so let's read. Hopefully you have your Bibles turned to Galatians 1. Let's read Galatians 1, 13 and 14. Here's that last four, or because. Because you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul did not receive the gospel from man because he was stomping out anyone who had anything to do with the gospel. He wasn't taking time learning from them. He was killing and imprisoning them. And he was doing just fine. You can't even say that he was converted because he was frustrated because he was struggling in his Jewish faith. No, he was doing just fine. He was progressing more than others of his age. He was doing just fine. He did not receive the gospel from man. He was trying to stomp out the gospel. 
sentences first. Second, let's read 15 through 17. But when he, God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with humans, with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Rather, I went into Arabia and came back once more to Damascus. Again, Paul did not receive the gospel from man. Clearly, rather, he received it directly from Christ. Verse 16, God revealed his son to Paul. Eric read this for us in Acts 9 earlier. It was something that God had predestined before Paul was even born. It was not based on Paul's merit. He had no merit. He was killing Christians. He was imprisoning them. He had no merit, but it was something God had predestined before. He did it as a gift to Paul out of grace, and he did it for a purpose. He had selected Paul to bring his gospel to the Gentiles. He would be Christ's servant, as Paul said he was, with his message to the Gentiles, including the Galatians. And then Paul didn't take that divine revelation. That's where Paul was made aware of Christ being truly the Son of God and recognized that he really was God's Son sent into the world to save sinners. He didn't take that nugget of a divine revelation and say, well, hey, I need to fill that out by asking Ananias or by asking the Christian leaders of Damascus or even better, like I'm going to head back to Jerusalem to learn from them. He said, no, I didn't do that. I went into Arabia. Now, Arabia is unclear what he means by that. The kingdom of Arabia went, we think of Arabia today as Saudi Arabia, which is mostly desert. And it is that portion. It's east of Israel, down the Arabian Peninsula. It includes like Petra, if you've ever heard of the rock city of Petra. It was led by King Aretas. He's the one who later wanted to arrest Paul, and he was lowered through the basket as a result. But somewhere in that Arabian Peninsula, whatever it was, it was away from Damascus, which had a Christian and Jewish contingency, obviously. Paul was going there to arrest folks. It was away from Jerusalem, the hub of, of Christian and Jewish thought. It was out in Arabia on his own, as far as we know. We don't know anything about it. There was certainly nobody there that we're aware of that would be teaching him the gospel. And that's where he's there for a couple of years until he comes back and reappears in Damascus three years later. Paul didn't receive his gospel from man. He received it directly from Christ and then he didn't add to it by going and talking to man, which would have been fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul was called out by God to be this apostle to the Gentiles. He was different. Like, I don't want you to sit there thinking, oh, well, I better not go ask anybody, you know, I don't, no, that's a really good thing. But Paul was a special called out apostle for the Gentiles. And it was really important for them to realize that he himself received all of his by revelation not from man. A couple of things to note that I want you to tuck away. So just tuck this away until later because I think it's important. Notice how this section starts in verse 15. But when, and then it also also notice that it talks about Paul being separated, set apart. It's a Greek word, aphorizo. Right, those two things will come up again in just a second as we get into a later uh, section of Paul's history. But just note those two things and we'll come back to them.
So Paul didn't receive the gospel from man. He was trying to kill anybody related to the gospel. He was directly revealed by Christ on the road to Damascus. And then he went away into the Arabian Peninsula, wherever he went. We don't know, but he went away. And now he's back in Damascus, lowered through a wall, as we read, headed to Jerusalem. Okay, but when he got to Jerusalem, maybe that's when he was taught by man. Let's read 18 through 20. Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. It's on a map. It's down, but you guys have heard Jerusalem is higher, so you're always going up to Jerusalem. Went up to Jerusalem. And by the way, even I don't know if this is was interesting to me when I visited Israel. Israel's maps have east up top. Did you know that? They don't actually orient their maps with the north up top for what it's worth. I thought that was interesting. Not related to today. <laughs> Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. Though he did make contact with the disciples. We read about it earlier. He wanted to. He wanted to associate with them, but they didn't want him until Barnabas came and sort of made a bit of a connection. But what was that connection? Was it a deep learning experience for Paul? No, it was two weeks with the Apostle Peter and one contact with the Apostle James. That's it. And Paul's laying all his cards on the table. He's not hiding. He's not saying, no, I didn't ever, you know, I never, I didn't know the person. I never talked with, no, I was with him. I was with him 15 days, that's it. And I talked to James. That's it, I swear to you. That is it. That is all the interaction I had. And and Paul was spending a lot of that time preaching, right? Because that's what it was like. Who is this guy? What's going on? Let's get rid of him. Let's run him out the way he used to run people out. Let's run him out. And they did. They ran him out. But Paul did not receive the gospel from man. He clearly, uh, even though he goes to Jerusalem, he did not sit under the apostles' tutelage. He just came and went. He had escaped out of Damascus, and now he's here for a short time, and he escapes out of Jerusalem. He's run out of Jerusalem. Not not a time to sit and learn under the apostles. His gospel was not from man. Let's read 21 through 24. This is the fourth, the second Syria. Uh, This is what I have that he was contemplated. He was thought about, but they didn't know him. Then I went into the regions of Syria, which would be Antioch, and Cilicia, which would be Tarsus. So he goes back to Antioch, and he heads all the way up to Tarsus in Turkey, Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight. So if if he would have shown up to the churches of Judea and they would have said, who's that? They'd, I don't know. I'm, I don't know him. Well, have you heard about the guy who's used to persecute us? And is now preaching. Oh, that's the guy. You know, they didn't know him. They had heard of him, but they didn't know him. They wouldn't be able to pick him out in a mugshot, in a lineup. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. Paul didn't receive the gospel from man, even though... It had been three years since he was converted. No one even knew who he was. He had spent the majority of those three years away in Arabia, a couple weeks in Jerusalem. They had only heard reports. People thanked God for what had happened, but Paul was not a part of the apostolic group at this point. They wouldn't have even able to pick him out. Okay, well, he's going to come back to Jerusalem. 
verses 1 to 10. This is Barnabas has now gone up to Antioch. The Gentiles there have received the gospel, received the Spirit. Hey, we need help. It's a lot of growth. Let's bring Paul down. Paul is now in Antioch. Again, there's the revelation. There's the prophets that come up. Um, I'll, I'll read that in just a second. The prophets come up. They have this revelation. They decide to go back to Jerusalem. So we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Paul spends more time on this because this is where it gets a little more dicey. Paul, did you receive your gospel from man? Because you were there in Jerusalem and you had a lot of interaction with the apostles here. So is it true that your gospel is not from man? You need to explain yourself. And at a high level, read it, but at a high level, he's going to say, yeah, yeah, I was there. And I told them my gospel, and they validated it. It wasn't them telling me the gospel. We go, oh, okay. No, I shared. I laid out for them my gospel, and they said, yep, that's the right one. So after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. We'll talk about that 14 years in just a second at the end is the last thing that's hard. After an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So he came to bring money, but he's like, hey, I'm here. There's all this slack, all this flack. The Galatians are, you know, I want to, I want to share the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did it in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So Paul takes this opportunity in private to say, hey, I know we're here to deliver this gift, but I want to tell you, here's the gospel that I'm preaching. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. But those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Nevertheless, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. He laid out the gospel. They didn't say, hey, that's 80% right. Here's 20% you don't have. Or, hey, you got one thing wrong here. They didn't contribute anything to me. On the contrary, they noticed, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just like Peter had been entrusted to the gospel with the gospel to the circumcised. Because he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me and mine to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, that's the grace he talked about earlier, that he revealed his son to him so that he might teach him. Jesus among the Gentiles, recognizing that grace that had been given to Paul, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we may go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul didn't receive the gospel from man. He's sharing it with them and they're approving of it, but it isn't him learning of them. They're not adding anything to him. They're just validating it. He had been in Syria with Barnabas helping with the Gentile converts a revelation was given to him to go. A lot of swirl happening. Peter had already had to explain himself. If you take Paul at his word, he's a little worried, a little concerned that he's running in vain. I mean, he's been preaching this for 13 years now, but it hasn't been easy, and there's been a lot of questions, and he hasn't had an opportunity to interact with the apostles. 
And I think Paul was a confident guy. But if you take him at his word, he took this opportunity in private because he had some fear that he might be running in vain. He goes to Jerusalem to give the gift. He takes the opportunity. Titus becomes a test case. He says, no way. No, we're not going to circumcise him. This is my gospel. What are, they, what are they going to do? Are they going to correct him? Are they going to add to him? No. Nothing but validation. The only thing they added to him, is Paul, all we ask is that as you're preaching this, remember the poor. And Paul's like, easy. Hey, that's why I actually came, right? I came to remember the poor. I brought a gift. Like, that's the one thing that I was happy to do. I, and so nothing was added to me, not even the thing they asked. I was already doing that. That's why we came. Paul's gospel was not from these foremost men, nor from any man. It wasn't from the Jerusalem leaders. It wasn't from anyone. Paul is doing the talking here. They're doing the nodding. They're agreeing with him. And lastly, if you can believe it, we've already gone through 22 verses, 11 through 14. However, now we have our last Syria incident again. Jerusalem, Syria, Jerusalem, Syria been to Jerusalem. Now Peter's coming to Syria. Peter's coming to Antioch. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Because prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him and this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of everyone, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul didn't receive the gospel from man. Rather, he is confronting and correcting the leading men who would have taught him. Now, several things, this is where you take out of your pocket the thing I asked you to tuck away earlier. Several things here make this, to me, sound like the road to Damascus, and I think it's intentional. Paul has moved, I think, from being confronted by Jesus to confronting for Jesus. It starts like before with, but when? which is not a common phrase in the New Testament at all, certainly not in Galatians. And he talks about this separation, not Paul being separated by God from his mother's womb, but Peter separating himself, the same Greek word, aphorizo, separating himself from the Gentiles. And Paul, on behalf of Christ, I don't mean to equate Paul with Christ. He wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that. But Paul is Christ's servant, he says, doing his will, not pleasing man, Paul, on behalf of Christ, is confronting Peter. Now, Peter's not... Paul was an unbeliever, you know, doing awful things on behalf of the Jewish leaders. I'm not saying Peter is there, that he needs that kind of... But Peter's wrong here. Peter, he's not, Peter's not teaching a false gospel. Peter's not saying that people need to be circumcised in order to be saved. But Peter's not walking in alignment with the gospel. He's saying, uh, I don't know that I can eat with the Gentiles. And Paul's like, what in the world? Where did that come from? Those things are, circumcision is nothing. You can do it. That's fine. You can do it. You keep it. Like, we are going to glorify God. We're going to try to give no offense to Greek 
or Jew, and we can eat together. Man, we are co-heirs. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's absolutely no reason for you not to eat with the Gentiles. And the only reason he was doing that was out of fear. And again, it's not explained why he was concerned. There's reasons that I could share with you maybe during the question and answer we have uh, next week, if that's something you're interested in. But it was fear. He was afraid. Similar to Peter, he was afraid when he was having to testify of Jesus right before his death. I mean, Peter was a bold guy, but like the rest of us, he would get afraid sometimes. And he was afraid and he was acting wrongly. And Paul, rather than saying, hey, that's who I learned from, that's who I, like, I, I need to be caught. He rebuked him in front of everybody. On behalf of Christ, he rebuked him and said, this is not right. So all of these things, these six examples, with all of them, Paul gives his evidence that his gospel was not taught him by man. He was trying to stamp out the gospel. He wasn't learning it. It was directly revealed to him by Christ on the Damascus Road, and he spoke to no one after that for years. When he finally came back to Jerusalem three years later, he swears he saw no one but Peter and James for a couple of weeks and was run off. And for the next decade, People praised God for him, but they didn't know who he was. They couldn't have pointed him out. And then the next time back in Jerusalem, he did have more sustained contact, but it was validation of what he laid in front of them, not him listening and learning. And finally, when Peter came to Gentile territory, Paul was confronting him, not the other way around. And all of this is meant to demonstrate that Paul's gospel was not an invention of man, was not learned by, from him, from man by him, but it was rather divine. And thus, Paul was Christ's servant, pleasing God and not man, and therefore his claims, while bold, were to be believed. There was, there is only one gospel. It is the gospel that Paul taught. Those teaching that you need to be circumcised, Gentile believers need to be circumcised and follow the law, are teaching a false gospel to their own demise and to the Galatians' demise should they follow it. And anyone angels or otherwise, who would say differently are wrong. Now next time when we continue Galatians, uh, Paul will declare exactly what he means by the gospel, verses 15 through 21 of chapter 2. Before ending, though, I want to go back to one last thing, which is the last thing, the third thing that makes this a little bit hard. It's a debate that I have kept you completely in the dark about, although some of you may already know it. But I've completely ignored it to this point. A fair number of people, even evangelicals, even conservative evangelicals, even conservative evangelicals that we love and learn from, will say the history that I laid out to you is slightly wrong. They will say Galatians 2 is talking about Paul's visit to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council, not his famine relief. He came and brought famine relief, and while he was there, he laid out for them the gospel. A lot of people believe that. And an off-sided reason for this, there's multiple, it's not just one, but an off-sided reason is that if you look at what happened in Galatians 2, it sounds an awful like what happened in Acts 15. I've not made you aware of this debate because I think it's very clear uh, which side of the debate is correct. And I don't say that uh, in a bad way. Again, uh, people I love and respect um, hold the other side. But I, I just, I, to me, it wasn't worth spending a lot of time on it. It feels very clear. Nevertheless, I do want to make you aware because you might read about it and say, that sounds different. 
than what I said. So I just want to make you aware. To me, it's a non-starter. Paul swears on oath that he's been to Jerusalem two times. So if you say at Galatians 2 is his visit for the Jerusalem Council, he's left out a visit altogether. He's completely left out his visit for the famine relief where he came and spent time with the apostles. It's, it's documented in Acts. So that's, that's really, to me, a non-starter that Paul would say, I promise you I didn't learn this gospel from it. I, I was in Jerusalem for 15 days and I was there for the council and that's it. Oh, really, Paul? I thought you were in Jerusalem for the famine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. No, no, that's a non-starter. That's not why. It, it is. It does sound a lot like the Jerusalem Council because that's what was on everybody's mind during that time. Peter had to defend it before. Paul had to defend it. And then finally in the Jerusalem Council, they had to make it official. They had to deal with it. But the fact that it sounds the same doesn't mean that it's the same event. A second reason often cited to say that Galatians 2 is the Jerusalem Council visit is timing. You know, there's two time markers in here. He spent three years after his conversion in Arabia. He spent 14 years later. He comes back to Jerusalem for this visit. And if you say the first one's around 33, you know, maybe you maybe you get to 36, and maybe you add another 14, you get to 50. Well, voila, 50 is the Jerusalem Council. That's way past uh, Acts, the famine visit. So the general answer to that is that while it does seem that Paul is talking consecutively, three years, then 14, it, the math all works fine if you say it's three years after his conversion, he spent in Arabia, 14 years after his conversion, he came to Jerusalem, and you don't add them on top of each other. Not to mention, there's no mention of the council's decision in Galatians. If, if Galatians 2 is describing the Jerusalem council decision, Paul doesn't need to give so much argumentation about why they don't need to follow the gospel. He just needs to say, we all decided this in Jerusalem. And now I'm writing to you to tell you. So that's another reason I think this had to have happened before the Jerusalem council. And finally, you know, Paul says he came up because of a revelation in Galatians 2. And there was a revelation mentioned in Acts of a famine that precipitated his coming. So in any case, I don't think it's something you need to wrestle with. And that's why I haven't shared it with you. But we have friends who will take this position, so I want you to be aware in case you hear a sermon or read something and think, that's not what I heard or that's not what Matt said. In fact, if you, I don't know if any of you have the MacArthur Study Bible, it talks about Galatians 2 being the Jerusalem Council. So again, people that we love and respect very highly will, will say this is different. But I, I think they're wrong. Humbly, I don't, I just, I think that they're wrong. And so, but I want you to be aware that it is, um, something that people hold. Now, all that to say, uh, that's the history of Paul that he lays out to show that his gospel was not something he learned from man. It didn't come from man. It was directly from God. And so his claims, while bold, need to be believed and followed. And next time, it won't be on Sunday, even if I do end up teaching Sunday. It won't be on Sunday. I think it's going to take me longer than that to think through verses 15 to 21. I, I feel like they're really amazing verses, and to me, at least, hard verses to understand. So I might still be teaching Sunday. If it's so, we'll, it'll be something separate, but eventually we'll get back and we'll see uh, Paul's declaration of his gospel in verses 15 and on, and we'll pick up from there. For now, we'll pray, we'll sing one last song, and we'll be dismissed for fellowship before we study Chronicles in the second hour. Okay, let's pray.
Lord, we thank you again, as we did last week, for the Apostle Paul, for his standing firm and not giving an inch. Even giving an inch over the span of 2,000 years, there would be so much, uh, we'd be off so far by this point. But for him to stay firm on the truth so that it would be preserved and written and kept so that now we would know that we can be your children through faith, standing on the promises of your word, believing, receiving your spirit, being sealed by your spirit, that we don't need to follow the law, we don't need to be circumcised, that we're not in sin if we don't do those things, that indeed we don't want to, to be put ourselves under that. That's, it was a glorious law, it was a good thing, it had its purpose, which we'll talk about in the future, but it was for a time, and that time has passed. The faith has come, Christ has come. We're released from the law, and we're in freedom in Christ to serve you in the Spirit uh, together. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your word and for our opportunity to study it, for us to understand and trust how rock solid it is that we can stand upon it and, and not be afraid of things that are fearful as we think about the future, but we can rather have confidence and hope and trust in your promises so that even if the world were against us, that we could stand and overcome. God, give us that kind of strength and grace through listening, understanding, and believing your word. And help us to be doers and not just hearers, but to be doers as well. In Jesus' name.